You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Bonnie Milligan stars in the hit Broadway musical, Kimberly Akimbo at the Booth Theater. The show began at the Atlantic Theater Company with Bonnie winning the Lucille Lortel Award and getting nominated for a Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Drama League Award for her utterly brilliant performance as Aunt Deborah. Bonnie's other credits include Head Over Heels, Kinky Boots, and Search Party. Just this month, the gorgeous Kimberly Akimbo original Broadway cast recording debuts on Ghostlight Records. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for coming on the show. It's a joy to have you. I am in love with Kimberly Akimbo and especially Aunt Deborah. <laughs> I mean, I love all the characters <laughs> and they're all so lovable in their own complicated way. Can you take me to mm-hmm. when you found out about Kimberly Akimbo? What went through your mind? When I found out I booked it or when I found out they wanted when an audition? They fa- when you found out they wanted an audition, when you first heard. So I, when I first heard about it was the beginning of March of 2020. And it was one of those emails from my agent to say, um, just putting a feeler, would you want to audition for this? Um, we don't have dates yet or audition material. And I, you know, and they had attached a, a pl- the play for me to read. I had read it years ago before, but I thought, yeah, let me reread this. And it just made me laugh so much. And also it was very deep. So I thought, oh my gosh, I would love to be a part of this production. So for people who might not know about Kimberly Akimbo and what it's about, because it's such a unique show, can you talk about what the show is about and your amazing character and Deborah. Yeah. So Kimberly Kimbo 
tells the tale of Kimberly Lavaco, is actually her last name, um, who is a New Jersey teenager played by Tony Award winner Victoria Clark, who has a fictional aging disease that essentially ages her body four and a half times faster than normal. So she's a girl who's about to turn 16 who looks like she's in her 60s. And um, the median life expectancy of this disease is 16. So putting that birthday upon us and a dysfunctional family and her own sense of mortality and what she has to do on this earth with what she has left um, kind of gives this beautiful, hilarious, um, insane new musical by David Lindsay Bear and Janine Tesori. Um, and I get to play her, you know, fun-loving con artist aunt who comes back into her life, um, who has a big scam she wants help with. And that sort of sets everything in a different motion than normal for Kimmy. Um, we have Stephen Boyer, who is Tony nominee, you know, playing her alcoholic father buddy. We have the brilliant Ali Mozzie playing her uh, narcissistic and, you know, um, hypochondriac mother, Patty. Um, and a slew of new young talent playing all of her fellow teenagers in school, including amazing newcomer Justin Cooley um, as her soon-to-be very good friend, Seth. Every character is so rich, and even the ones ha who have, you know, questionable motives who are really messed up, you know there's so much love inside of them. I, I can tell, even as, as flawed as dear Aunt Deborah is, she loves Kimberly so much. Deeply, know? yeah. I said early on, I, you know, I kept asking David Lindsay Bear, I said, I see love here, right? Like, am I off track? Like, I think I deeply love her. And I would love to take that angle where she's not just some, you know, criminal bad guy or whatever, that it's a survivor. It's someone who's been through some stuff and no spoiler alerts, but something big really just recently happened. And she's got to get out of town. And so the stakes are high. And um, I just need one quick scam to get me the money to leave. And um, and in this complication, I think I deeply love Kimberly. I said early on, I imagine how I play it is she's my favorite person in the world. She's probably the one person who doesn't just tolerate me, but likes being around me. And um, and so it, it's it's. And I have found amazing, amazing connection and friendship in Vicki Clark. So it's fun to get to play with her. And she's so convincing as a 15-year-old going on 16, which is so extraordinary, yes. you know, when you yeah. think about that. And I think it's even as much as you know, were talking about, you're talking about an illness and there's that brilliant song, My Disease. And it's the most life-affirming show. It's yeah. about hope. It's about living your life. It's about joy. Yeah. And I'm convinced at the end of the day, Aunt Deborah, in her way, tell me if you think this is right, that she really thinks she's saving 
the f- Kimberly in some way. Yeah. And the kids. I think, and- I, I think <laughs> in my own way, I'd said like, you know, this is my version of parenting. This is my version of love is <laughs> yes. to tell you, you have to go out. I have this amazing number called Better um, in, when I first come out. And it's sure it's to try to get her to come in on my scam, but essentially it is a life lesson that you hear her repeat later, you know, um, not just me, but Kimmy, that it really gets through that. It's like, if you want something, you need to go do it yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. And I think that has been Deborah's life experience. I come at her from a place of yeah, loneliness and pain that um, I haven't had anybody really come through for me. And I think there's an important key in that of um, victimhood, you know. Um, I've known some complicated people in my life and um, who would never see themselves as a villain or they're not like malicious. They just who have really hurt people because they are um, hurting themselves and they're just trying to survive. And so that was always the goal is to just be human and we're flawed and um, we're, we're doing what we can. And so I think at this point when we meet Deborah, she's you know, got her back up against the wall and she's <laughs> fighting to get out. Um, but in that first number to Kimmy, it is an act of love to say, babe, let's just you know, it might be hard and weird, but it's going to be liberating if you just don't wait for your train wreck of a set of parents to do anything for you. Um, go do it for yourself. I did. It's okay. Right. And there's a lyric in Better. Oh my God, I could listen to that 20 times a day and it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> it's the best song. And I'm excited everybody's going to get to hear it because very, it's uh, the album, the uh, original Broadway cast recording debuts this month yeah. on Ghost Light Records. So you can hear it yes. lots of you belting those incredible <laughs> notes that, oh, the pathos, the pain, the joy, the humor. There's this one lyric that just, I mean, there's so many lyrics in that song that just like, that I have this guttural laugh that I can't, no matter how many times I hear it. But even the lyric, let me underscore that they were beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about rings that you kind of scammed your way to getting. That even, that that, that tells me so much about Anne Deborah to say the word underscore. Yeah. Am I reading into this too much? <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. I know you tell me you grew up in the Midwest, right? In Ohio mm-hmm. and Illinois and mm-hmm. sang as a child and singing in church. Yeah, the singing, the singing was definitely always... Um, that was a very early thing for me when I guess the lightning strike moment of like, oh, I'm meant to do this. Um, I remember I was very, very little. I was probably like, wow, I, I don't know. One of my very first memories, I think, that it's very concrete about it. I was five years old and the family was doing a group number at church, you know, yeah. and my mom and dad, my brother and I. And I got to sing the verse. Well, they were going to have my brother and I each sing a verse, and my brother didn't want to. And I said, I'll do it. (laughs) I was five. And 
they're like, okay. And so I sang both of the verses and, you know, my mom and dad only came in on the chorus and so did my brother. And I remember being like, yes, me, I would like that. And, you know, my brother was 10 and he just was like, ew, no. And I said, absolutely. And from being a very young age, having people come up to me and being emotionally moved by what I had done. And I thought I was just singing, you know, that I thought, Oh, I, I remember that sticking with me. I don't know that it was as lightning strikes as um, the, I get the verses. Um, <laughs> but it was always something that, you know, was, um, it was always something that people around me really affirmed that there's a gift here and there's a calling here and there's something special that you should pursue with it. And then when I was in fifth grade, I got the lead in the Christmas play at school. And what we used to do, it was a very small school, um, it small towns together. So it was about 25, I mean, maybe 30 kids in a grade. And so we could fit the entire elementary school in the gymnasium. And on the bleachers, K through four would sit and do all the singing and they would put, you know, folding chairs on the court. And that's where the parents and family sat. And then there was up, there was a stage at the end of the gymnasium. And so the fifth graders got to be the actors in the play. And then the whole school would sing. And so it was, you know, you sat in the bleachers until fifth grade singing the songs. And in fifth grade, I got the lead. I got to be one of their two elves who saved Christmas. And I was George Ann. And I just remember being like, oh, okay, this, yep, okay, yeah, that's it. And being so excited and there was comedy with it, you know, and making people laugh and thinking, oh, wait, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an actress. And, I'm, you know, always saying and stuff like that. So those were kind of my childhood, like, lightning moments for sure. Do you remember what it was? Was this a play that they wrote, this Christmas play, it where was, you got to be the was, elves? I mean, I think it was, I'm not even sure the name of the show, but it was, I, I feel like there's probably, you know, some titles that people have written for, of shows to like uh, give to elementary schools, you know, around the country that aren't like actual yeah, like yeah. big, big titles. I feel like it was one of those. I don't know if it was any of our people that wrote it, um, but it was definitely an original piece with lots of choral numbers for the rest of the school to sing <laughs> and then um, us to get to act. And um, yeah, so I'm not even sure the the title of the show, but I just remember being so excited and the 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 joy of getting to be on the stage acting was my first time doing that I'd sung a bunch but I'd never like done a character you know I'd never not been myself and I remember just falling into that and falling in love with the make-believe of it all and then I read that you from there ultimately got to Ohio State where you got to study Mm -hmm. theater and that's really yep. yeah 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 and how did you go from and then at Ohio State that that's where you really found your singing or that's where you got your training is that right 
Yeah. So um, I grew up for the first part of my life in central Illinois. And then I moved to Ohio when I was 16. Uh, my parents had divorced. My mom uh, was remarried. And that's where her husband sells, uh, my stepdad sells farm equipment. So it was an area where he could open up his own um shop, store, business, you know, and my dad had been from Detroit. So my dad went back to Detroit and we went to Northwest Ohio. And so when it came time for school, Ohio State, you know, I, I got the most money mm-hmm. offers from them. I was a very good student and I kind of begrudgingly went. I thought, oh, I wanted to go to conservatory and we didn't have much money. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, didn't feel as viable. But um I ended up loving it because it was really an amazing, it was just an acting program. It wasn't musical theater. I feel like I developed a lot as an actor. It was also a big emphasis on new work. So I developed as a writer also. And I just think that critical thinking and the dramaturgy of it all has made me a better actor also um, to think deeply about how things are working or, you know, what motivations, et cetera are behind things. And so it was there. I, I'd taken, I was in a couple choirs while I was there. Um, I did a gospel choir, did a concert choir. Um, I took voice lessons for one, uh, quarter or semester from a TA and, but it was through the Kristen Linklater voice technique class that we were all trained in as actors, uh, for speaking that I was learning about my resonators that I was learning oh, wait, when I warm this up, this kind of sounds like belting. And so I developed as my my singing voice, even separately uh, there in a non, you know, singing training program um, that I branched out as an artist during college, um, finding my own way of like my own sound. And um, yeah. I love that. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Is it hard to describe or put into words how singing makes you feel? I mean, I know how I feel when I hear you sing. You know, it, it's it's like it goes through you. It's like it's exciting. It's but how does it make you feel? <laughs> I'm for me, you know, because it's something I've done since I was so little, and I'm not the most super trained of singers. Um, that I'm very instinctual. And, you know, I've taken things, I I know clearly how parts of my voice work, the different trainings I've had over the years, um, that it, it feels very freeing. It is very, um, 
I, I always said, I feel like music was one of the first languages I spoke. And so it feels the best way to possibly express I myself. When I was, when I first moved to the city, I, I did some temping, but then I also waitressed for like six years. And I wait, waited tables at Landmark at the time, Warner Center in Columbus Circle. And I would leave a shift and sometimes it would either, it could be a great shift and you're like in a good mood. It could be a horrible shift and you are so sad that you're not, that you're doing this and not what you're so desperately wanting to do that there was a karaoke room place on around the corner on 53rd street and eighth that I would go to. And I would, so I would sometimes, usually if it was a good mood, I would ask, I had a couple coworkers. One of them right now has made his own Broadway debut splash, Kennedy Kanagawa, who was Milky White in the Into the Woods revival. <gasps> he and I were, yeah, <laughs> we're waiting oh. tables. And our dear friend, um, Jefferson, the three of us would go and rent a room at private karaoke and just sing. And sometimes it was a celebration thing. And sometimes if I was having a horrible day, I would go and rent the room by myself. And I would just sit there and sing as catharsis, as uh, I just need to get this out. And it, and it was just, it was for no one. It was for me sitting alone in a room singing some karaoke. And and again, if it was a good time or even oh, there was many days they were like, I'm having a horrible day. Do you want to go karaoke? Yes. And that's where Kennedy and I and our friend Jeff would go and get a room and uh, do some duets. And do some, then you like, you know, you either turn the day around or you let it out or you celebrate. I remember when I booked Head Over Heels when I found out it was going to Broadway going and, you know, them putting in the go-go's and being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this on Broadway. Like it, it, it's been everything. So, um, that is singing for me, um, that it is getting the deepest parts of myself out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> vocally. And, um, when it's the character and when I get to do it in show, it's amazing. It's always an extension of, where the character is coming from, because that is what singing is for me, is an extension of my emotional being. And that is also what musicals are, right? They always say, if you can't speak it anymore, you have to sing. And that that is what's amazing about this piece is it's beautifully written. So I, it's not a stretch to find out why I'm singing something. It is your next move would be to sing. And that's why also I think it sounds as complex and varied as it is, is because that's the journey of um, this character and uh, the brilliant Janine Tesori that it's not all belting. It is lots. Of, it's sly. It's like getting somebody in on something and that, you know, um, that it's amazing to work with her on that. I, I think about the song, Take the Turn, you know, when you're eating, when you're yeah, at the, the dinner table. Turn. Yes, yes. And, uh, and how subtle it is and it's yeah it's quiet and it's so it's so real and human and and how you're all having and it's it's you think how can you express a song where everybody all the characters have an inner life and then it crescendos you know and yeah 
Forgive me, I said and the just, wrong title. Of, yeah. Oh, you're fine. Inevitable turn oh. is what it's called, but you got it. Inevitable um, turn. It's, yeah. it's essentially like, I mean, in a complicated family when you're like, this is going great, but it's going to turn. And when's it going to turn? It's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to have to, it's inevitable um, that it is sly. I remember early on, you know, we got a note from our music director, like even lighter, lighter, like to us singing it. He's like, it should just feel conversational. It should feel like, don't sing it. Don't try to be like, because I remember there was a instinct to me to be like, um, they never do to like be a little bit more biting, not like super loud, but even biting in my approach. And he's like, but it hasn't turned yet. So don't I'm like, okay. Like it's so it's brilliantly thought out uh, by everyone. Um, and Chris Fennick, who is our music director works so closely with Janine Tesori all the time that like, he is such a storyteller and the way he plays the piano and conducts the show, you know, like that. Um, all right, we've got this story to tell. Like it hasn't erupted yet. So pull it back, pull it back. Okay. Okay. It's such a distinctly unique show. I mean, every song yeah. is a gem, is 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 a masterclass, you know, between Janine yeah. and the music director and David Lindsay Bear, you know, this oh this and then your voices and it's extraordinary. Yeah. And I I um have read that you grew up seeing Whitney and Mariah and Reba and Celine and knew the lyrics yeah. to Fancy when you were a kid. And that you also <laughs> <Yes>. discovered... <laughs> I love that. That you were saying Fancy as a child. I love that song. Um, and that yeah. you discovered show tunes early on. Um, yeah, yeah. What or, or Broadway cast albums. What cast albums yes. did you discover? Um, I mean, there, there were so many and it, it was always fun to like go to Barnes and Noble when, uh, an album would be released that you get to like go and kind of like hear and read a, read the booklet to see what it was about, you know, um, back in the day before streaming. Um, but you know, I fell so in love with ragtime and the last five years songs for new world, um, uh, the wild party, both of them. <laughs> um, and, um, <laughs> I, and I remember hearing, uh, take one step from Lippa's wild party that had Brian Darcy James. It was just some of the best acting I've ever heard on an album, you know, without ever having seen the show, I knew exactly what his emotional life was being so inspired. Um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, my mom brought me to the city to see as a teenager, you know, for my birthday. And and now here I am working with Janine Tesori, you know, like that's that's amazing. And when I when I first moved to the city, we were driving and I had <laughs> my mom and stepdad were driving me in and I played uh, Not for the Life of Me from Thoroughly Modern Millie as we were like coming into the city. And I just thought, you know, like this girl leaving a one light town where the light is always red. It's felt so real. You know, we had very few stoplights in the town I was coming from and going to the big city. And so I played that as we drove into New York for me to move here. And now I'm on Broadway doing an original Janine Tesori show. It's incredible and full circle. and um yeah. 
very much. I love that full circle-ness of it. And what was it like to record the cast album? I mean, here you are. I love that you originated uh, the role in Head Over Heels and now originated, yeah. you know, Aunt Deborah, Kimberly, Akimbo. But what was that like to be on the cast album? I mean, it is such a special dream come true kind of thing. I think when we did the Head Over Heels album, it was over the course of two days. I was so busy and I was so exhausted. And I took a video of myself, like I sent it to a friend, but I had just got out. I took a cab home that night and I got out and I was recording myself and I said, I'm so tired, but I'm really proud of myself. I can't believe that happened. And I was crying. And that's so much of it. And this, they they split us up over two days. Um, we've recorded part of it in October. We were in previews or we were, maybe we were in tech. We hadn't even started previews. And then um, the other part in December in case things changed in previews, et cetera. And it, it's, it's just a magical, beautiful thing. And to get to do the show with so many Broadway debuts and um, even people who've never been on an original Broadway cast album before who have been on Broadway, you know, and it's just like the specialness, the the dream come trueiness of it all is not lost on me. And I just remember, you know, telling the younger people, especially who were the, these Broadway loving kids, take this in, like you're on an original Broadway cast album, like that's what's happening right now. And to sit in a room and across the room in a booth is Victoria Clark and seeing, a, you know, a piece of paper, we all had our names around our things. And it just, even though we're very good friends now, to see a piece of paper that says Victoria Clark, and there she is in a recording booth. And then to realize I'm recording an original Broadway cast album with Victoria Clark is like overwhelming and beautiful. I mean, there, there were times off Broadway that I would just sit there, it was just her and I on stage in a moment at the end of act one. And I would think sometimes I would snap into myself, you know, and think I'm on a stage with Victoria Clark right now. Wow. And then I'd have to, you know, go back to like Deborah world, <laughs> but um, it's, magical. And again, I said to, I've, I pulled, you know, Janine aside. I've, I've told her the story of playing Thoroughly Modern Millie, like through tears as I'm like, this is just really amazing. Like I'm a theater loving girl at heart who is getting to do it. Like I hope I never, I hope it's never run of the mill and normal. I hope it's always magical and pinch me. I ask you what, so what kept you other than doing karaoke, which I love, what kept, when you were a struggling yeah. actress, performer, you're going on auditions, waiting tables, what kept you going? And, and what was the, one of the first professional gigs that you got? I think I have always had a very, supportive family to tell you the truth yeah. they never once were like maybe you should do something else I was a very very good student um straight A's and here I went into this <laughs> business <laughs> that uh you know is not the most stable and it's like you could have been a doctor what's wrong with you now at this point I'm like absolutely not um but they always 
really affirmed this, like there is a calling on your life and this is something that, um, you're meant to do. You're just meant to do it. And so, you know, a lot of teary conversations with my mom, if I didn't get something or, you know, there were things that happened even during the pandemic, uh, I, that I, I had been a part of developing, um, some things like for television or that I thought was going to go my way. And then pandemic, there were different rules that happened. So I couldn't travel. I couldn't go do it. And the disappointment of even just something that was going to happen that couldn't anymore. Or she helped me with a bunch of self tapes during that time. And she was like, how did that not happen? How did you not get that? I'm like, cause that happens, ma. And she's like, but you were great. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's okay. And to kind of re-see it through my mother's eyes was so interesting in my 30s, you know, to sit there and have someone experience that you just have to, it's not about you, which is a long lesson to learn. And that was part of learning it through all the disappointment is to try to tell yourself it's not personal. It is something else. Um, And to go karaoke and then to talk it out <laughs> with my friends and call home. And, you know, the support system is the only way I could have gotten through everything. Um, and people who love me for beyond what I can do on a stage, but know that that isn't who can remind me that that is not my entire worth as a human being is what I can do. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a lot of that, you know, there was some therapy there for years as well, um, to help me figure out all of that. Um, and then you asked one other question. Oh, your first professional job when you got to New York. Oh yeah. Um, I did some community, it's a community theater that is really sweet called the Village Light Opera Group down in Tribeca. And that was the first show I did in New York. Um, and then I, my off Broadway debut was in a show called Cuff Me, the Fifty Shades of Grey parody musical. And it was just four of us. It was um, non-equity, but it was officially off-Broadway. I just remember it was the first thing on, like the first show I had done that was listed on Playbill, you know, that I was like, oh, it's not off-off, it's off. Um, And then I guess the the next step up was officially... an equity production, but they could use some non-equity members, which is me. And there was Jasper in Deadland, which is where I met Matt Doyle. Uh, oh. It was a Ryan Scott Oliver musical oh. we did with Prospect Theater. Um, and then I got my equity card doing the first national tour of Kinky Boots. And so that was kind of um, the steps along the way. Yeah. And can you just take me to when you got Head Over Heels? Because that was your Broadway debut. Yeah. What went through your mind? That was and- the... Take me to that point when you heard, yeah. I was a member of um, the Flea Theater down in Tribeca, and a guest director was named Ed um, Sylvanus Iskandar, and he would do these epics. And so it was through those I made a bunch of connections, and um, Jeff Whitty, who originally conceived and wrote the book of uh, Head Over Heels, the first part of it, he saw me there and was inspired. And so he and Ed were putting together a reading and um, asked if I would be in it. And I was non-equity. I had no agent. And um, I 
was like, okay, sure, this new musical, great. And that was in, I think, May of 2014, April or May. It was right before I left to go on tour. And um, so we did, we'd done the reading, it went great. And then I was on tour and they were setting uh, a world premiere at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2015. And I got the call that they would like to keep me with it. So I um, did the tour for about eight months. And then I left to go do Head Over Heels at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And then, you know, many things happen where it seemed like, okay, I think that's it. That's the journey with the show. It's done. And it was beautiful. And I'm, I had an amazing time and I'm sad, but that's probably not going to happen. Okay. And I came back to the city. Um, I did an off-Broadway show and I found out in early 2016 that they were going to bring the show back. And this time it was, uh, with all new people except for me, which was a crazy thing. Um, and Michael Mayer was on board to direct and, um, so in the summer of 2016, we went up to Vassar to work on it. Anyway, that's like, these were the long steps of the journey. And now I'm equity finally, you know, I have an agent, all this stuff. And um, we did a lab, which means four weeks of work on something in January of 2017. And it was not till the end of 17. It was, I think it was October of 2017. I got the call. We're going to Broadway. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, all these years from the first reading in 2014 to now, and it's actually going to happen and you think it's going to happen and it's not, and it's just a big roller coaster. And they announced that we were going to go that summer. I think it was January of 2018. They made the announcement and then we were on Broadway. We, we went to the current in San Francisco first, and then we went to Broadway uh, that summer. And it was many things, right? It, it was a culmination of years of work on this thing <laughs> and that I had really gotten to develop and create and uh, work with. And there was a lot of hardship attached to that and a lot of joy attached to that. And most importantly, I was going to get to be on Broadway, which is something I had been longing for for so many years and to get to do it in a role that I had really, you know, created from the ground up with everyone was just a cherry on top. And so that it, it was a multitude of emotions when I found out it was actually happening. Like a part of me kept waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under me. I was like, it's not going to happen because I thought this for years. It's not, it's not. And so when I was with my best friend, when they announced it to like a crowd, the Go-Go's were playing a show and they announced it to the crowd and we, we got to go on stage and be with them for a number and I came and I saw my friend and we looked at each other and he's like, Bonnie, it's actually happening. And we both burst into tears because I just for so long was like, sure, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And it just was one of those culminations of, oh my gosh, you've been putting in the work and the hope for years and years and um, it's actually going to happen. And so it was many, many feelings. Oh, gosh. Yes, for it to finally happen I mean, after all yeah. that, those years. People don't realize it takes, it can take seven years or longer for a show to get, yeah. a musical especially, to get to Broadway. And is there a, yeah. a role that you're aching to play or has is it yet to be written? 
I mean, there's plenty of things I've always said that are like later in life kind of roles um, that are very, you know, the Sondheim of it all. I would love to do some Sondheim, anything, uh, throw me a bone. I'm, I'm ready. Um, but I would, I'd love to be Mama Rose one day and I would love to do a Mrs. Lovett. I would love to do, um, yeah, many things that I'm like, I'll, I'll age into that later. But, um, <laughs> and then uh, just a new show that's, that's been yeah. such a joy to have two times I get to originate it. So it's more about working with exciting artists for me, um, at this point. Yeah. Bonnie, it's such a joy to see you in Kimberly Akimbo and to have you on Thank the show. You. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. you for having me. This has been so lovely. It's so lovely. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes, the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. This episode was produced by Anna Stroud. When lightning strikes. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.